0: Um, As an entry point to the commandments again, I want to just briefly talk about the fact that the law is often the shorthand that's used for the Ten Commandments. You talk about the Ten Commandments and people say the law. And labels, as we all know, while helpful, can sometimes narrow the full scope of what they represent. And the, the shorthand of the law, to refer to the Ten Commandments, has created within the Christian church at times a tendency to contrast the law of the Old Testament with the grace of the New Testament. Sort of a, that was then, this is now kind of an idea. And I want to just suggest to you, as, before we read the commandment, that this is a faulty, incomplete, and potentially dangerous understanding of God's top ten If this is the lens by which we understand the Bible, well, that was then and this is now, then we're liable to miss the entire ebb and flow of our relationship with God. You know, we start to get into and say things like, well, you know, the Lord was legalistic at first, but then God decided to be gracious. Think about what that implies. Or with Moses, God was far more demanding, but with Jesus, God lightened up a bit and became more permissive. These are not true statements In one sense, as we look at the context in which the Ten Commandments are given, it's important that we understand that Jews then and Jews now recognized that they were saved from bondage in Egypt before the Torah, before the law was given to them. To put it another way, the Ten Commandments were not how the Israelites became God's people. They already were God's people. No, they understood They still understand that the law was not a new form of bondage, but was a means of grace. Beloved, grace always comes first. The Lord's redemption, deliverance, and salvation are the starting point and not the result of learning how to live as God intended. The Lord's instructions for living, the Ten Commandments that we're just about to read, are not the first step, but the next step. The law helps us to express our gratitude for grace, and more importantly, teaches us how to tangibly live out this grace that we have been given. So, beloved, let, let us yet again read the Ten Commandments this morning. What are the Ten Commandments? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. What is the sixth commandment, beloved? You shall not murder. What does this commandment mean? God alone is the author of life. Therefore, we love God by protecting life and the existence of His creatures. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We will be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave us. The first part of the law is this great commandment. That we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our strength. The second part of the law flows out of our understanding of the first. We must love our neighbors as ourselves. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we come today to the sixth word of the law. In Hebrew, only two words. No murder. At first, this seems like one of the more straightforward of the commandments, doesn't it? I mean, if we were to do a random survey of people on the street asking them to name the Ten Commandments, chances are this would be one of the commandments that they could name. No murder. Pretty much makes sense. Pretty much common sense, too. I mean, who would disagree with that, right? In one sense... You might even say this morning that this commandment seems hardly necessary, at least for us, right? I mean, after all, we're not murderers, are we? I mean, we might joke around. We might joke around and say things like, I could just kill you. But this, is, this idea of murder is not a real temptation for us. So why don't we just skip over this one? Let's pray. Some of you right now are going, oh man, if he said that, that would be the best Sunday ever. <laughs> You know who you are? But you know I'm not going to do that. Because despite what we, we think, when we say these commandments or read them out loud, when we come to this sixth word, this commandment is anything but simple or straightforward for us. I would actually say that, in many ways, this tends to be one of the more controversial words of God's top 10. And the controversial nature. Of this sixth word begins in fact with how we translate it because some of you who are here this morning may have been raised reading the King James translation any King James fans raise your hand if you're a King James person let me see him okay or how many of you were raised in the Lutheran tradition I should see a lot more hands let me see some hands <laughs> and if you were fall into either one of those categories when you memorize this commandment you memorized it this way you shall not kill Well, that's interesting. So which is it? No murder or no killing? The Hebrew word that appears here, the one that's used here in Exodus 20, is used roughly 40 times in the Old Testament. And if you were to look at the context for all of the different passages in the Bible where this word is used, you'd find that the range of meaning for this particular word is no way near as broad as our usage of the English word kill. Judicial or legal killing. Killing due to capital punishment, for example, or even the slaughtering of animals for food is not covered by this term. The usage of this word consistently throughout the Bible revolves around the taking of the life of another person either criminally, that is with malice, as in premeditated murder, or through negligence, that is by accident, what we would term manslaughter. So this sixth word is probably best understood as you shall not murder. And this, again, makes sense because we know, we believe, society fails unless folks are secure that they will not be indiscriminately killed. But it doesn't take away the controversy, even if we lean towards you shall not murder, because it still raises the question, what is murder? Is it murder when you kill someone in self-defense? Is it murder when you kill someone in the defense of another person? Is murder limited to the killing of an individual? I mean, what about the Holocaust? Is genocide, if it's legal by the law of the land, does that make it any less murder? Beloved, no matter what the translation, murder or killing, the sixth word, as we begin to see, relates to so many provocative social issues. Abortion, suicide, euthanasia, war, just to name a few. For each of these emotional subjects, and there are many more that we could lift up, we can find someone referencing this sixth word on both sides of the argument. How are we to live out this commandment if we can't agree as to its application? And sadly, as many of us know, many of us have been maybe on the receiving side for centuries. Some in the Christian community have debated the implications of this sixth word by vilifying or castigating those who disagree with them. Many of us, for the sake of these arguments, have in our anger not been above insulting, cursing, slandering, even defaming our ideological opponents. The stakes, we believe, are that high. But this sad reality within the Christian community for generations becomes even more troublesome when we step back and listen to Jesus reflect on this sixth word. From the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, "'You have heard, it. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, "'You shall not murder.'" and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or a sister, you will be answerable to the court. And if you say, raka, which means you fool, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. Ho, 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 the word of the Lord. While we're debating the boundaries of this commandment, Jesus cuts right to the heart of this sixth word. While we get hot and bothered about the violence and neglect all around us, outside of ourselves, Jesus challenges us to look within. Because you see, according to Jesus, it isn't just enough to stop short of actually pulling the trigger. Spirits can be broken just as surely as bodies can be buried. The wounds of verbal abuse may be less painful than physical abuse, but the scars that remain often cut deeper and last longer. We grew up with a saying, many of us, sticks and stones may break our our bones. But contrary to how we learned that saying, sticks and stones may break our bones, but let us not kid ourselves, words do indeed. Always hurt us. The Bible, in fact, gives far more deference to the tongue as a weapon than we do. In God's vocabulary, words can be as sharp as any knife and burn like fiery coals. What we're beginning to see is that faithfulness to the sixth word, according to Jesus, is more than not just committing the physical murder of another person, it's also refusing to be filled with anger. To be filled with hatred towards another person. Because, and many of us have experienced this, when we give license to anger in our lives, when we give free reign to anger in our lives, hatred will not be far behind. It doesn't take long for hatred to become contempt for another person either. Where we find ourselves wishing that person was dead. Or not caring if they were. Wishing another person dead, seeing another as a non person, is what Jesus is talking about when he says that those who are angry with another or who say, Raka, you fool. What Jesus is saying is once we take a step in this direction, we are violating the spirit of the commandment just as surely as if we had plunged a knife in the other person's heart. How did we get here from where we started? For all of a sudden we find ourselves convicted of the fact that we're all guilty of murder. I mean, after all, I don't know about you, I can speak for myself, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. Who among us can claim to be innocent of outbursts of anger? Who among us can be totally innocent of malicious gossip, wicked name-calling, or letting anger and hate fester in our hearts? Beloved, killing, murder according to Jesus, according to God, is not simply a matter of what we do. It's a matter of what we think and say. It's about our attitude. If I hate someone, then I have the spirit of death in my heart, the same spirit that leads to killing and to murder. And so we find ourselves confronted in a way that's very uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable right now. We find ourselves saying, well, we may not be murderers, But according to God's word, just the same, we're all still natural-born killers. And so we step back. Where do we go from here? How do we get out of this depressing place that we find ourselves? Well, maybe instead of splitting hairs, which is what we traditionally do, maybe instead of splitting hairs about where the line-defining murder begins and ends, maybe it would help if we looked at this commandment from a different angle. Instead of being viewed in negative terms, you shall not murder. What if we looked at this command in positive terms? You shall see life as sacred. Beloved, I want to argue with you this morning that the sixth word makes clear that all life is sacred. Because all life belongs to God. All life belongs to God because it is God who is the creator of all life. The only one who has the right to take life under any circumstance is the one who alone gives it, the Lord God. We see this and we're never comfortable with it when it comes up, but because the Lord is the author of life, we even sing in one of our praise songs, you give and take away. The Lord alone has the right to take life because the Lord alone is the one who gives it. Our calling, this commandment, this word reminds us, our calling, once again, is that we are stewards, stewards of life. We don't look for the loopholes. We don't look to have more authority than we actually do have. Our calling, as followers of Christ, as the people of God, is to keep life sacred by encouraging it, by celebrating it, by protecting it, not by taking the gift of life, The privilege of life lightly or casually and for all of us here this morning every single one of us myself included respecting life valuing it begins by understanding that the moment I carry hate in my heart towards my brother or sister is the moment I start to kill them does this still sound extreme is this still too radical? Then let me, tell you this. let me tell you a story. It's the story of two brothers. Two brothers who came into the world as part of the same family, sharing the same blood. But their relationship changed. Their relationship changed when the older of the two brothers became angry, jealous, Envious, perhaps, of the favor that was shown to his younger brother. Rather than look within his own heart, rather than deal with his anger, the older brother let it fester and rule over him. I don't know, maybe maybe he blamed his brother for his own lack of success. Maybe he just couldn't take being slighted as the oldest being shown up, being dishonored by his younger brother. Whatever the reason for his anger, it turned to hate. And hatred led the brother to deceive the other. The older brother led his younger sibling out into the field and murdered him in cold blood. If you're not familiar with this story, these two brothers were Cain and Abel. And if you want to read it, go to Genesis chapter 4. When the Lord God asked Cain about the whereabouts of his dead brother, we experience in the Bible the very first question addressed to God by a human being. Did you know that? It's the very first question a human being in our Bible asks the living God. When the Lord God asks Cain the whereabouts of his dead brother, the very first question asked by a human being is given to God and it's a telling one. As Cain says, Am I my brother's keeper? It wasn't really a question, kind of more like a sarcastic reply, designed by Cain to distance himself from all responsibility for his actions, or more importantly, to distance himself from his relationship to his brother. I want to suggest to you this morning that this question transcends that story. It is the question of our humanity. And how we answer it is a life or death decision. It is a life or death decision about how we will live together as humanity. Beloved, as the people of the word, as the people of God, we should be recognized as those who respect life. That should be one of our distinctives. We should be known for cherishing life, for revering life, for basking in life for holding the lives of others as valuable as our own. The challenge, the command of this sixth word for us is not to refrain from murder. The challenge, the command of this sixth word is to be instruments for the spreading of God's abundant life. We are called to be channels of God's life-giving grace and blessing. We are to see life as precious, sacred, as a great gift, a gift for us and for every person on this planet. We are to stand up for the right to life of our neighbor as God's image bearer, encouraging, nurturing, and protecting that right to live, to exist if needed. More and more, in our jobs, we are rewarded for efficiency, productivity, and cost-cutting. Even if it is at the expense of others. We cut corners and neglect building and safety requirements to make things more profitable. We bog down customers with paperwork and other bureaucratic rabbit trails to make it more profitable. We provide less than we advertised and simply point to the fine print. We offer loans that we know cannot be afforded and then sell them to someone else as profitable. And when the debt is called, we foreclose on others as we write off the loss. Beloved, as we participate or support such gross irresponsibility and negligence that threatens human life in our culture, the question hangs there. Am I my brother's keeper? Day after day, we turn a blind eye to the need around us, while poverty literally kills people. The same statistics don't lie, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Crime, violence, pollution, illiteracy, homelessness, lack of health insurance are not found as much in wealthy communities in the same way that they burden poorer communities. Most of us consider ourselves middle class. If we were asked, that's what we'd say. We're middle class. And yet, if we look beyond the borders of our own nation, we are, in fact, among the richest people in the world what we would call necessities, clean water, vaccinations, antibiotics, fast food. Most of the countries on the planet consider luxuries that cannot be counted on. As we, as a society, continue to know all of this and yet do nothing, As we say a prayer, but shrug our shoulders and secretly think, better them than me. The question haunts us from the shadows of the ghetto and the legacy of genocide. Am I my brother's keeper? Civility is a lost art in today's world. Civility is a lost art in today's world. We don't know how to disagree without being disagreeable. The airwaves, the newspapers, the Internet are flooded with example after example of our tendency to demonize our opponents, to demonize them, rather than acknowledge for a second that, on, that the other side of our views are real people, Trying to be faithful to honest convictions just like ours. Labels, slurs, misquoting, exaggeration are not the exception anymore. They are the rules of the game. Don't respect your enemy. Destroy them. Any way you can. It doesn't matter if it's true. By saying it, by quoting it, by posting it on Facebook, it becomes true. Am I my brother's keeper? Beloved, how we answer this question is a life or death decision. That this sixth word, this command, is written in the second person singular, answers Cain's question before God that question that echoes throughout every day of our lives, it answers it with an unqualified and resounding yes. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. You, who shall not murder, are. As we continue through the final five words that shape our relationship with each other, this word against murder stands apart. Of all the things we can do to each other, there is a finality about murder that is different from the other four. For once a life has been taken, it cannot be given back. No matter how great the sorrow, no matter how great the punishment. And in that sense, murder is in a class by itself. It was a commandment that seemed so simple. It was a word that we thought had little to do with us. And here we are, hit right between the eyes so that maybe for the first time we can see the blood on our hands. We may not be guilty of first-degree murder but let's not kid ourselves. There are lots of ways of killing people. Before we remove the speck from our neighbor's eye, let's make sure first we remove the log from our own. And so the question is this morning for you and for me, my brothers and sisters in Christ, Have we murdered anyone lately? Have we murdered anyone lately? Boy, that's a question. Before we're downcast, before we believe in the face of that question that we stand condemned, we together need to remember why we are here why we got up this morning and came to this place at this time. We need, in that moment where we are downcast and begin to understand that we are condemned, that we need to look to the one who has died, to the one who was murdered by our hands, the one who cried out, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. The one who willingly gave his life So that we would stop taking each other's. Before this basic truth of human nature, that we are created in God's image, and therefore that all human life is sacred, a gift of God to be protected and preserved, Jesus pointed to another way. He said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Through the cross, Jesus didn't just point to another way, he became that way. Jesus, our brother, Was our keeper. He willingly offered his life in order to save every life, so that no life might be threatened, devalued, or considered expendable ever again. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been saved by Jesus. We have died in Christ so that we might live in him. And life in Christ means that we cannot be silent. We must stand up. We must nourish, nurture and encourage and protect abundant life for all. Amen? Amen.